Somebody must have oiled this. <laughs> wow. Good morning. Please uh, open your Bibles to the book of 1 John. 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 through 10. 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 through 10. You'll find that on page 1446 in the Bible in front of you. Page 1446. We'll be focusing most of our time and attention this morning on verse 9. The title of today's message is A Foundation for Revival and Spiritual Growth. It is my desire this morning for this verse to occupy our hearts and our minds and build a foundation in our Christian lives for personal and corporate revival and spiritual growth. May our time together this Lord's Day promote within us a spirit of repentance, confession, and a pursuit of holiness in our lives. May we claim the truths found in God's word and respond in obedience and gladness to the instruction of our Lord. May we put into practice in our daily lives these blessed truths recorded to us by the Apostle John. I would like to to please stand, if you're able to, for the reading of the Word of God. First John chapter 1, verses 5 through 10. For this is the message we have heard from him and announced to you, that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie. And do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all our sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. May God bless the reading and hearing of his holy word. You can be seated. Thank you. I want to start this morning's sermon by reading verse 9 one more time, very slowly. Then explain the text preach the text, and wait upon the Holy Spirit of God to apply the text to our hearts and minds in our time together. 1 John chapter 1 verse 9 says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It is a known fact in church history that in seasons of spiritual awakening, seasons of revival, there comes a new awareness, a new sensitivity to personal sin in one's life. This is precisely what occurred during the period of the Great Awakening in the 18th century, when this country experienced the power of the preached word of God and the stirring of the Holy Spirit as Jonathan Edwards and George Whitfield faithfully stood in the pulpits 
and preach during this most glorious time in church history. And as the word of God was lifted up, God drew near to the congregation in Northampton. And as God made himself known in greater ways of holiness to his people, it was his holiness that was magnified and put on display before the people's hearts and minds. The light of God's holiness shined in their mists, and hearts were revealed. Sin was exposed, and conviction ran deep. Among the people in the church of Northampton, there was a new calling upon the Lord for forgiveness of sins. Their understanding of repentance and confession of sin was enlightened. And they came to understand not only was repentance and confession of sin essential at time of conversion, inseparable from true saving faith, but foundational for their sanctification and spiritual growth, both individually as followers of Christ and corporately as the body of Christ. Not only were they crying out for God's mercy and his forgiveness at the time of conversion, but also there was a continual attitude of humility in their sanctification as they confessed their sins to God and to one another. There was a new awareness of personal sin. There was a new confession and repentance of sin and the naming of individual sins before the Lord. These were the initial marks of the great awakening in New England. And in fact, due to some of the emotional extremes that took place on the fringes of the Great Awakening, there were those who were questioning the validity and the authenticity of this great work of God. So Jonathan Edwards responded by writing a landmark piece entitled The Distinguishing Marks of a Work of the Spirit of God. And one of the marks Edwards brings forth in his response to the question of this great work of God, was that these people who were responding to the preaching of the word of God were under deep conviction of sin in their hearts and in their minds. These people of God were humbling themselves before the throne of God and regularly and daily acknowledging their sins before God and to one another. And Jonathan Edwards responded, quote, It is not to be supposed that Satan would convince men and women of sin and awaken their consciences. It can no way serve his end, referring to Satan, to make the candle of the Lord shine the brighter. It is for his interest, whatever he does, to lull consciences asleep and to keep them quiet. He goes on to say, would the devil, when he is trying to establish men and women in sin, take such a course to enlighten and awaken their consciences, to see the dreadfulness of sin and to make them exceedingly afraid of it and aware of their great need for deliverance from their guilt and shame before a holy God. Edwards's reasoning was airtight. And there is application for us here today. To say that the great awakening was of the devil, Edwards says, 
is illogical and unbiblical. Edwards' main point was this. Would the devil bring about conviction of sin? The answer is no. The devil would want his people to be asleep in their sin. He would want them to be complacent and lethargic in their sin. He would want them to be callous and insensitive towards their sins. The devil would not want God's people to have their consciences aroused and awakened and have a new sensitivity to sins in their lives, confessing and naming personal sins towards God and asking forgiveness from one another. And so it is with us. In times, in those times when we are not confessing our sins to the Lord, are those times when our consciences are asleep and our hearts have become calloused. But in those times when we are the most closest to God, are those times when we are most aware of our sinfulness. There needs to be a great sensitivity within our heart and soul to be right with God and to get right with God. Petitioning God and receiving his forgiveness and his peace within our souls. What would it look like for revival to come to New Village Church? What would it look like for a season of spiritual growth and great awakening? What would it look like in your own spiritual life for you to be drawing closer to the Lord? Well, there would be a greater sensitivity to personal sin in your life and a deeper and more profound confession and repentance of sins towards God's, towards God and asking forgiveness from your brothers and sisters in Christ. There would be a sorrow over sin. There would be a brokenness in your heart towards sin. There would be a hunger in your life for God's word. Uh, we have a men's ministry here on Saturdays, every other Saturday, where our brother Walter opens the word and he divides the truth. And he brings strength and encouragement to my walk in the Lord. Because I need that as a follower of Christ. I need the word of God to richly be, 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 be receiving it and living it out and being challenged by it. We have growth groups. Our growth group is journaling through the New Testament. We're just finishing Revelation. Every single day reading a chapter in the Bible, journaling out a verse, and applying that to our hearts and to our lives. That's what brings about an awakening, a zeal, a passion, a fire in one's heart for the Lord and for his people. It is the power of the word of God. It is fellowship with God's people. I challenge you today, look at the calendar in your wall. Take a pen and circle two weekends. Have God's people over. Break bread with them. Pray together. Share each other's struggles. We're all, this, all this in this together. We're different from the world. We have a different purpose in our life. We live for a different reason. And it is to glorify and honor our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and to be used by him in this world. There would be a desire to serve in his church, to get plugged in, you know, some people say, you know, you serve a lot, Steve. You got a lot going on. You know how blessed you are when you serve sacrificially, when you give everything you have for God's people and for his church. I want to encourage you as we continue to fan the flames of this church 
and to grow in the spirit and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Get plugged in. Desire in your heart to serve sacrificially for Christ and for his people. And lastly, there would be a greater sensitivity towards sin in your heart and in your life. This kind of sensitivity towards sin in a believer's life produces joy in obedience to God's word. Ain't that something? God's word is challenging you. It's strengthening you. It's bringing conviction of sin. And in and through that, you're receiving the greatest joy you could ever, ever receive from the Lord. His word is powerful. It creates a greater zeal and a passion for Christ and his people. There is a greater testimony in our lives of God's grace and a stronger desire to share Christ with others. This is how God will build his church. Today, as we come together as a family of God, may we examine our hearts with a clear conscience. And may the Holy Spirit of God do a great work among us as we look into his word. Let us pray before we take this verse apart and look at it phrase by phrase. Hey, gracious Father in heaven, Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have revealed yourself to us through your word. We thank you that Jesus said to his disciples, sanctify them by thy word. Thy word is truth. The word of God is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces both soul and spirit, joint and marrow, and it, is, and it is discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Your word is powerful, Lord. Your Holy Spirit, Lord God. We pray that you would press upon our heart today your truths. May you challenge us, Lord, as your children. And may we live our lives to your glory and for our good. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, let us look at verse 9 in chapter 1 of 1 John. And I want to draw out from this text three points of teaching and application. First, point number one on your outline. I want you to see the sins we must confess. The sins we must confess. He says in the beginning of verse 9, if we confess our sins, one of the marks of a true believer and follower of Christ is that he or she is one who confesses their sins. This is true upon our entrance into the kingdom of God, And it is also true in our growth and advancement to Christ's likeness and the things of God's kingdom on this earth. There is not one of us here this morning that when we were were saved did not confess our sins before God. If you did not confess your sins before God at the time you were converted, you weren't converted. Because you must be converted from something to something else. From a child of darkness to a child of light. From a slave to sin to a forgiven child of God. There must be repentance of sin before there's acceptance into the kingdom of God. And there must be a regular daily confession of sins in a believer's life in order to grow in our faith and in our knowledge and in our walk with Jesus Christ. We were all converted from sin and the results of that sin 
And now by God's grace, we are being washed daily from our sins as we confess them to God and ask for forgiveness from one another. That is why in the parable Jesus taught in Luke 18, verses 10 through 14, concerning the Pharisee and the tax collector, it was the Pharisee that was so puffed up in his self-righteousness, as he says in verses 11 and 12, God, and this, this brings back what I used to say before I knew Christ in my life, God, I thank you I'm not like the rest of these people. Swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes on all that I get. This religious leader was so self-exalted, so full of himself, boasting in his goodness, that he refused to acknowledge his sins before a holy God. This was a very religious man. But Jesus goes on with the story. And he tells us how the tax collector responded to God in his time of prayer in the temple. Verse 13. But the tax collector, standing some distance away, was even unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven. There's humility. But beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. Jesus concludes this story by saying, Only one of these men walked away justified. And that means being right with God. The man who humbled himself before God and confessed his sinfulness. This is the prototype for every prayer that is offered to God when one enters into the kingdom of heaven. There is always the confession of sins and the acknowledgement of sin before a just and holy God. Repentance and saving faith are the heads and tails of the same coin. One cannot exist without the other. And at any time someone comes to a place where there's personal conviction of sin and a genuine conversion to Christ, there is always the confession of sin. See, that needs to be right. We're approaching a God that is holy and just and perfect. And we're sinners. And when we come to God, that's the first thing we need to acknowledge. That we're unworthy to ever say his name, but by his grace and by the blood of his cross, he asks us to come, confess our sins, and he washes us and he cleanses us, and he makes us a new creation in Christ. The old things pass away, all things become new. And I want to tell you again, It is not only at the time of conversion where there is confession of sin, but also in our daily walk with the Lord. We are to be regularly, continually confessing our sins to God. That is why Jesus taught his disciples concerning prayer in Matthew 6, verses 11 and 12. He says, give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And what Jesus is teaching is that, like our physical bodies need bread for nutrition, so spiritually we need daily forgiveness of our sins and a heart willing to forgive others. 
Matter of fact, he goes on to say in verses 13 and 14 that unless you forgive others, God will not forgive you. God's mercy towards you will be determined by your mercy towards others. Here in our main text, in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, I want you to notice what the Apostle John says to us. If we confess our sins, the word we speaks to all Christians. All born-again followers of Jesus Christ are included in this plural pronoun, we. If we confess. And what does the word confess mean? There are two Greek words that are bound together. Homo, which means the same, and legeo, which means to speak or to say. The word confession, homo legeo, means to speak the same or to say the same, specifically as it relates to our sins. It means to say the same about our sins as God says about our sins. In other words, it is to agree with God regarding his diagnosis of our sinfulness. His word reveals our sin. His Holy Spirit convicts us of our sin. Our consciences accuse us and bear witness to our sins. And all through this, God so graciously is making known to us our sinfulness. And what, what, and what is the result of that? Producing humility in our walks with Christ. The word confess means to acknowledge our sins before God. It means to name our sins before God. It means to take responsibility and ownership of our sins before God. Look at the next word after the word confess in this verse. If we confess our sins, notice not somebody else's sins, but ours. Our tendency is to have 2020 vision to see other people's sins, but to have blinders on our eyes concerning our own. But he says if we confess our sins, notice the word sins is in the plural. He does not use the word sin in the singular, meaning in a general form, but sins in the plural, meaning in particular. All kinds of sins. Sins of omission and sins of commission. Sins of omission meaning things we should have done. And sins of commission meaning sins that we should not have done. Sins of attitude, sins of action. Sins of the heart as well as sins of the mouth. Sins done in private as well as sins in public. Large sins, small sins. We are to be people that are confessing our sins to God and asking forgiveness from one another. Please note in verse 6, we see the mark of one who is religious but lost. This is the one who says, Lord, Lord, but will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Look at verse 6. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness... We lie and do not practice the truth. And in verse 8, we see the one who is self-deceived and does not have a saving relationship with Christ, even though they claim to do so. 
Look at verse 8. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. This is someone who is unsaved and has never been born again. That's why my dear brother in Christ, Sid Williams, will constantly tell people that they must be born again to see the kingdom of heaven. This is the mark of a true believer who confesses their sins daily. How are we to confess our sins? Here are some several adverbs that define what this looks like in the life of a believer. First, we are to be confessing our sins promptly and immediately, as soon as we are made aware by the Holy Spirit of God. We are to confess them right away. And if need be, seek forgiveness from others. We are to confess our sins sincerely. I mean, when you think about the great price that was paid for our sin, this is, we need to approach God very sincerely when we're dealing with sin in our lives. We need to confess our sins completely. What do I mean by that? Well, a lot of times I'll acknowledge the things on the outside I'm doing. But when I take a little time and I close the door in my room and I start examining what I'm doing and why I'm doing it, I start finding out that this sin is a lot deeper than just the outside. When we come before the Lord, he can see right through the heart. We need to deal with it sincerely. We need to open ourselves up before the Lord and dig deep. What am I doing? Why am I doing it? We need to confess our sins with humility. Seeking God's strength and his wisdom because this is something we can't do on our own. We have to be completely dependent upon God. I've tried to do things in my own strength and they never get me nowhere. But when I'm relying on God, when I come before God with humility and saying, Lord, there's nothing I can do without you. I think of uh, uh, John fifteen five, right? right? I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bear much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. When we confess, we need to confess our sins repentantly. Turning away from them. I got a story of my daughter I have a, an area in my life that I've been struggling with for 13 years as a follower of Christ. And I would come in my daughter's room when I was feeling really crummy about it. And I would ask her to pray for me and we'd get on the bed and she would pray for me. And one night I went to pray with her and she said, Dad, until you start taking this seriously and you start really wanting to turn away from this and do what's right before God, You let me know then, then you come in and pray with me. Not like being rebuked from your 13-year-old daughter. But praise God, that's what it means. I need to be sincere when I'm confessing my sin. I need to have the desire in my heart to turn away from it, to have a hatred towards it like God does. Thank you, Michelle. Finally, we are to confess our sins regularly. I got an illustration. You have a walking and you get a pebble in your shoe, right? And it starts digging through the sock, and it hits the skin. And next thing you know, you're like limping. Then it starts cutting into the skin. And if you keep going, it's going to eventually 
open up your foot and blood's going to come out, then it's going to get infected, sore. You know, it just, it just escalates. But what do, what do we do? We normally take our shoe off right away and take it out. Why? Because why should we suffer, right? It's the same when the Holy Spirit pushes on the sin in our lives. It's like that pebble in the shoe. We need to turn and, and repent and ask for forgiveness right away. Why should we carry this sin around with us and allow it to start affecting our life, affecting our relationships, affecting our way that we walk with the Lord? Get rid of it right away. The Lord says if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Stop walking around with these pebbles in the shoes, brothers and sisters. We need to confess our sins and get rid of them right away. David said in chapter uh, Psalm 32, verse 5, I acknowledge my sin to you, and my iniquity I have not hidden. I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. John MacArthur puts it this way. If you try to cover over your sins before God, he will expose them. But if you expose your sins before God, he will cover them with the blood of his son. How much better is it for us to bring forward the sins in our lives and to receive complete forgiveness and reconciliation to God than carry those chains of sin around with us every day? Psalm 51.3, David also said, For I know my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Against you and you only I have sinned and done what is evil in your sight. When we sin against our spouse, we ultimately sin against God. When we sin against another brother and sister in Christ, we ultimately sin against God. When we sin against society... And those around us, in reality, we are sinning against the Lord. That's why it's not enough to ask for each other's forgiveness. Because the height of our sin reaches the heavens. And we must acknowledge them and confess them to God. Do you confess your sins? Is there a sensitivity in your heart and soul when the Lord makes you aware of sin in your life? Do you see your need in your walk with the Lord to be regularly confessing your sins and to be right with God? Psalm 51, verse 9, David said, Hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquities. Now, what is it that increases the knowledge of sin in our lives? I want to suggest four things. A, in your outline. The word of God. The word of God. God has given us his very own words to reveal to us our sinfulness. And even once we are Christians, we need the entirety of God's written word to provide knowledge of sin in our lives. The more we are in God's word, and the more that God's word is in us, the greater knowledge we have of sin. In Romans chapter 3, verses 19 through 20, the Apostle Paul says, Now we know that whatever the law says, 
It speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be closed and all the world may become accountable to God. Because by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For through the law comes the knowledge of sin. What Paul is saying is, the law of God does not justify. However, it does reveal sin. Look at Romans 7, 7, please. Romans chapter 7, verse 7. This is found right in the middle of a chapter dealing with sanctification. This is not an Old Testament teaching. Paul says, What shall we say then? Is the law sin? May it never be. On the contrary, I would not have known what... Hold I have not... I would not have come to know sin except through the law. For I would not have known about coveting if the law did not say, you shall not covet. Paul is referring here to his own spiritual life, his walk with the Lord. And it is the word of God which is revealing his sinfulness to his very own heart. If you and I are to have a sensitivity and an awareness of sin in our lives, the truth of God's word will be the mirror by which God will expose it and reveal it and reveal our desperate need for Christ and the forgiveness he offers. Secondly, I want you to see B, the holiness of God. The holiness of God. And as we draw closer in our lives to the holiness of God, we become more aware of our sinfulness. In Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 5, we read of Isaiah's vision in the temple. God's word says, As he seen the Lord, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filling the temple, and then he heard the seraphim call out to the others, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Heaven and earth are filled with his glory. What was Isaiah's response? Listen to verse 5. Woe is me, for I am ruined. Some, some say, for I am undone. Because I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the king. You and I probably would have said to Isaiah, you're a prophet of God. When you speak, God speaks. When you open your mouth, truth comes out. But Isaiah says, oh no, I have seen the king and I am unworthy to speak or to stand in his holy presence. As you and I become increasingly aware of the holiness of God, revealed in his word and in the person of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, may we become more aware of our sinfulness and our need to confess our sins to God. And may we say the same as the prophet Isaiah, woe is me, for my eyes have seen the king. And we haven't seen him in a vision, but God has revealed him to us through his written word. Back in 1 John chapter 1, verse 5, this is what the apostle John tells us. 
This is the message we have heard from him and announced to you. That God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. Now let me ask you this. What happens when we draw closer to a very bright light? We see the blemishes. We see the flaws. We see the imperfections that become very clear in our lives. But as long as we're in darkness, as long as we're far away from the light, I'm good, you're all good, we're all good. Everything's good. But when we draw close to the light, we become aware of our need to confess sin in our lives. What increases our sensitivity to sin in our lives? Well, we've looked at the Word of God, the holiness of God, and now I want you to see see the Son of God. The closer we draw to the Son of God, there's the same effect. Remember in Luke chapter 5, when Peter and the disciples were fishing all day and night and didn't catch nothing? And the next morning, the Lord Jesus tells Peter to cast his nets into the water. And Peter, being a professional fisherman, reluctantly, with nothing but unbelief in his heart, cast the nets into the water. The scriptures tell us that as soon as the net hit the water, immediately the fish filled the nets to overflowing and the boat barely could stay afloat or get to shore. And Peter, as he stood back and seen this entire situation unfold before his eyes, becomes extremely aware that he is standing in the presence of holy God in human flesh. And at that very moment, Peter became instantly aware of his sinfulness. And we read in Luke chapter 5, verse 8, Peter fell down at the feet of Jesus saying, Depart from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. Peter was a saved man. Peter was a disciple. He had forsaken his career and his family and was following Christ. And yet he becomes at this very moment unusually aware of his sinfulness and says, Lord, depart from me. For the light of your holiness is shining too bright for me to look at. It is the word of God. It is the holiness of God. It is the son of God. And now lastly, D, the Holy Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit of God has come into this world, according to John 16, verse 8, to convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. This began before we were saved and was brought to completion at our conversion. It was the deep, convicting power of the Holy Spirit of God that revealed our sins, our future judgment, and our desperate need for Christ's righteousness in order to stand in the holy presence of God. It was the ministry and work of the Holy Spirit that has brought us into the kingdom of God. And it is the same ministry and work of the Holy Spirit that escorts us and moves us along as we are conformed into the image of his Son, Jesus Christ. It is the Spirit of God that puts the finger on the live nerve of our heart and soul at different times when our attitudes are wrong when we have a sharp response to somebody, a critical spirit in our hearts, 
Sarcastic words are used. Our words and actions are used to hurt people that we love. When we fail to offer our gifts before the Lord and to serve him with a pure heart. Whatever the sin would be, it is the ministry and work of the Holy Spirit of God that is making us aware of our sins. I thank God for that. That's, that's assurance to me. When Steve Sarrow feels the conviction of the Holy Spirit when I've done something that I shouldn't have, I praise the Lord because I know I'm saved. I, I used to do things and not even think twice about them. Now I just do a little something and man, I, I, I feel horrible. That's what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit is when you're at work the next day and you start, you know what, I have to call my brother. What I said to him yesterday was wrong. I, it's burning in my soul until I call that brother and say, I'm, I'm sorry, can you forgive me? It's like that pebble in the foot. I've got to get that pebble out before it starts cutting my foot. I need to get that out of my heart because I've sinned against my brother. And if I don't, I'm going to carry that around. It's going to affect my relationship with my wife, my kids, my performance on the job, my relationship with God. Whatever the sin would be, it is the ministry and work of the Holy Spirit that makes us aware. If we grieve the Spirit, we desensitize our hearts towards His convicting ministry. But if we are filled with the Spirit of God, we are more sensitive to respond to the Spirit's work in our heart. Verse 9 says, if we confess our sins. Notice the verb confess. It is in the present tense, meaning regularly there needs to be an ongoing confession of our sins to God in our Christian lives. Point number two. The rest of the points are short now. Point number two. Not only the sin we must confess, but secondly, the sovereign we must know. The sovereign we must know. Not only the sin we must confess, but secondly, the sovereign we must know. Notice in this verse how this verse continues. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous. Here's the sovereign's character. He is faithful and righteous. The text, context of the rest of the verse goes on as this. He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He refers to God the Father, which refers back to verse 5. God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. This speaks of his holiness and truth. Look at verse 7. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus his Son, God the Father's Son, cleanses us from all our sins. And what the middle of verse 9 is telling us is if we confess our sins, A, God is faithful. God is faithful to forgive our sins. He is faithful to immediately and completely forgive our sins. He is faithful to freely and eternally forgive our sins forever. It is God who has promised us in his word to forgive us our sins and to remember them no more. 
He is faithful. Amen? Jeremiah 31, verse 34 says, I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. Isaiah 43, verse 25, I, even I, am the one who wipes out your transgressions. For my own sake, I will not remember your sins. Listen, the devil remembers every single one of our sins. And he whispers them in our ear on a regular basis. However, God remembers them no more. You need to remember that. As far as to the east is to the west. He removes them and remembers them no more. For there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, our Lord. We've got to remember when those voices are coming into our ears, where they're coming from and who they're coming from. And we need to know about the victory that we have over sin and death and what Jesus has done for us on the cross. There are many things that God can do that Satan can't do. However... There are two things that Satan can do that God cannot. One, it is impossible for God to lie. And two, it is impossible for God to remember confessed sin. Shouldn't that alone cause us to run to the cross and ask for forgiveness? Titus chapter 1 verse 2 speaks of our eternal hope which God, who cannot lie, promised to us ages ago in his Son. God has purposely and intentionally placed behind him in the sea of his forgiveness all our sins, and we remember them no more. This is the sovereign we must know, that God is faithful to carry through with all his promises and to fulfill Forgive our lives. Forgive our sins. But look at the text before us. Not only does God, is God faithful, but B, God is righteous. God is righteous, which means that he will not require double payment for our sins. If Christ upon the cross has paid the complete penalty for our sin, God will not require more from us. However, if we fail to confess our sins, he will bring discipline, correction, chastisement, if you're his child, and rightly so, for our good and for the glory of his name. We are his children. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous. And because Christ has bore the curse of the law and paid the full price for our sins, God is righteous, meaning he is holy and he is just to forgive us completely, immediately, and eternally from our sins. It is at the very core of God's character and nature to forgive confessed sin. And when someone says, I can't believe that God would forgive me after everything I have done in my life, even though there is an element of humility in that, The reality of it is, is you're calling into question the holy character and righteousness of God. And you're calling God a liar. Because God has said in his word, I will remember their sins no more. We need to be 
have a sensitivity to sin and be quick to confess our sins to God. None of us should minimize sin in our lives. It should break our hearts and cause us to deal with those sins in our lives to the glory of God the Father. Who crucified Jesus? Ultimately, God the Father. For what reason did God have his only begotten son nailed to the cross? It's for our sins. Romans 5 verse 8 says, For God demonstrated his love towards us, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. 1 John three sixteen says, We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us. And for us to know that we have a heavenly father who is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, we need to run to the cross for forgiveness. And by his grace and for his glory, we'll experience the peace and the joy of knowing his forgiveness and his promise of eternal life in his son. This is the sovereign we must know. Now that we have drawn from our text the sin we must confess, the sovereign we must know, finally I want you to see point three. The son we must enjoy. The son we must enjoy. Please note as we come to the end of this text what the result of our confession of sins is. That he will forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And God does this by the means of of the shed blood of his son upon the cross, as he suffered and bled and died for us. This is the gospel. This is the good news. This is why people follow Jesus Christ. God has loved us from the beginning of salvation all the way to the end when he calls us home. He reveals sin in our life by the power of his Holy Spirit. He gives us a a proper understanding of who he is and who we are. He gives us a new heart that loves him, that desires him. He gives us his written word as he reveals himself and the truth of who he is to us. He helps us as, as he washes us daily and sanctifies us and makes us more like the image of his son. And then he calls us home and he makes us just like his son. I think the verse says we will know him because we will be like him. Look at verse 7. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all our sin. It is at the high price at Calvary's cross that the shed blood of Jesus Christ has cleansed us and washed our sins away. The word forgive in respect to our standing before God means to pardon a debt owed or to cancel out a debt or to remove a debt and restore the debtor to the one the debt is owed. That is the meaning of the word forgiveness. And when we confess our sins to God, he forgives us. He cancels out our offense to him. He removes it. He pardons it. And then look at what else he does. He cleanses us. Which is to say, he cleanses our soul because our souls are dirty because of sin. 
Do you remember in John chapter 13 when Jesus wanted to wash the feet of Peter? And Peter said, oh, no, Lord, you're not washing my feet. You can't wash my feet. And Jesus said, you need to have your feet washed, Peter, or you'll have no part of me. And so Peter said, then give me a bath, Lord. (laughs) And Jesus said, you don't need a bath. You've already had a bath. Meaning that you've already been justified and declared right before me. However, Jesus said to him, you only need your feet washed, Peter. Meaning as you follow me, Peter, as you battle sin in your life and the temptations and the trials, Peter, in which you're going to embrace and endure. You will need me to wash your feet, Peter, every day. Or you'll have no part of me. And while Jesus was teaching them humility to his disciples by washing their feet and how we are to wash the feet of each other and how we are to serve Christ, there was even a more deeper teaching here going on. That, that yes, Peter was washed when he came to know Christ. He was justified. He was regenerated. He was made a new creation. But in his sanctification, in his day-to-day walk with Christ, he needs his feet washed. He needs to daily and regularly be coming to the foot of the cross and confessing sins and having his feet washed. By Jesus Christ. You know, today that tub is still, still there. It's in, it's in the foot, it's in front of the cross. It's at the foot of the cross. When we're carrying sin, when we have things in our lives that are becoming burdensome to us, when we feel the weight of it, when we feel the Holy Spirit pressing upon us, there's only one way to go. There's only one place to go. And that's to the foot of the cross. Jesus is still washing our feet daily as we live this life, as we follow Christ. That is the deeper teaching there, that we need Jesus every day. We need to be confessing our sins. Too many of us, brothers and sisters, are carrying burdens that we don't need to carry. And and what, what it's doing, it affects the way that we're living our lives. It affects our relationships. It affects our service to Christ in this world. We need to come to the foot of the cross. And Jesus says, I will wash your feet and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. He's already washed us and made us right with him. Now he needs to wash us daily so that we can love him and serve him and be committed to him and have a zeal and a passion for him. If revival and spiritual growth is to come to New Village Church, or if it is to come to your own personal walk with Christ, it will only come through the confessing of our sins to God and seeking forgiveness from one another. As God has forgiven us in Christ. You know, one uh, barbecue we had, we had some fellowship with some of the guys, and we were talking about sin And we were talking about walking in the spirit of God and how they how they react with each other. I mean, if we're constantly meditating and thinking about our sinfulness, we're walking around this with our head down. 
and we're doing nothing for the kingdom of God. So we don't think the Lord, Paul says, walk in the spirit and in the power of the resurrection. How do the two, how do the two come together? How should we walk? Well, the sin develops humility in the believer's life. You see, we are to walk in strength and in power and in confidence, but it's not in ourselves. It's in Christ. You see, that's where the humility comes. We're sinners. We fall short of God's glory every day. We need Christ every day to wash us and to cleanse us and strengthen us so we can walk in the spirit and in the power of God's resurrection. They work together. Like everything in the Christian life, there's a balance. Okay, yes, you've been washed. You've been regenerated. But now you need your feet washed to live out this Christian life every day for my glory and for your good. I want to conclude my sermon this morning by reading 1 John chapter 1, verse 9 one more time very slowly. I want us to own this verse. I want us to believe this verse. And I want us to apply this verse every single day in our Christian lives. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness.